0: I don't know if we actually have rights to that audio. Do we own the rights to that audio, or is that
1: just like a (laughs) it's it's uh, it's music that we can use? It's it's been uh, okayed by the gods, so it's just rock out classical non copyrighted music. I I could totally respect the fact
0: that there's artists all over the world and they worked really hard on their craft, but it's so complicated nowadays. Like when we make all this YouTube content, we are just getting hit with like copyright claims all
1: the time by YouTube. If you, you can't can't have music in the background that remotely they can pick up, that is you're you're jamming to your own tunes. They'll they'll block out the sound for that period of, of time on your video.
0: Yeah, I will say at least once a week. Even my uh, Instagram videos from like years back are getting flagged and taken down. They're like, this content can't be distributed across like all of these nations. I'm like, ah, I don't. Know
2: I think I'm they going. should put you in jail. They probably should. They do put How you do in they, a
1: Facebook jail to where you can't post for 24 to 48 hours. Dude, yeah. it's, so, it's so complicated. Like, I never
0: thought it would reach this point, but these social media platforms are so integrated into our lives that all of a sudden when these rules are starting to come up and they're changing things, it's kind of freaky because you get so used to them and they're so important to you. And now, especially if you say something wrong, like if I call you retarded, Rich, and um, yeah. like, yeah, I, I, I could be canceled yeah and the thing is is like it it's I don't know like it's it's a scary place to be like I was gonna have my friend Alex on the show today he was on in resource room with me and we were in rooms literally with kids with down syndrome and Alex when he speaks about these stories talks about it and uses like every word in the English language that probably gets you canceled and uh, I was like pre I was like Kind of preemptively, like, "Yo, Alex, I love you, but like, just make sure you're really careful about what you say because they'll come for us."
1: And Is this window washer that was in the car?
0: Yeah, you, heard how, yeah. you heard how crude he was. And Rich, <laughs> you was- you don't really hold back. You, with your old age, I feel like you're at the age where if you get canceled, you already made it through life. You've got nothing to hold back. You know, so, point. there's
2: can I tell you something? There's a limit when you when you get over 65. They just don't care what you say anymore because they figure nobody pays attention to you anymore. And now that I've hit the big 7-0, you know, I'm in charge. I can do whatever I want. I'm like Biden. I can just say stupid shit. <laughs> <to get out laughs> <of that. laughs>
0: Damn it. I have to go turn on the fucking light again. No, this go. is so weird. No, I just, you guys are
2: so unorganized. I can't even believe you're still doing this.
1: Shut the fuck up. This, we've been we've been doing pretty well. We had Mr. Parker Gregory on last week.
2: Uh, it wasn't even last
1: week. That was this week.
2: I, I didn't know who that is.
1: is. He's... uh. Male fitness model. Think Zoolander, oh. but in today's world.
2: Yeah, dude, I am
1: a male fitness model,
0: and I'm living my best life. So, That's gonna I mean, we'll explain why off. we brought yeah. you onto the show today, but just to like pre- preface it, guys, Like, I'm basically going to be doing a series where I'm reaching out to all the best coaches that I know in my network, and I'm asking them the likelihood of me making it to the Olympics. And Rich doesn't believe me that I can do anything, so... <laughs> He's an asshat of a friend, but he's still so a valuable to start with. He's still valuable. He's always a good person to start with because he's brutally honest and he's also very intelligent. So my goal was to contact all of these amazing people and just try to discuss. And as friends, like create this blueprint of how we would get to the Olympics and shortcut all of these years that these people have been putting in and see if we can get to the front of the line. And I've been really good at that. I have, I'll admit, like I'll toot my own horn. I've been good at being able to cut corners, not in the way that I do it without putting in hard work, but I just find a way to get to the front of the line quick. So right now, if you guys look around, I'm in a garage. I just moved into a new house. It's a fraternity house, basically, which I've been doing ever since I was male modeling back in 2010. I've literally traveled the world to like empty houses with like air mattresses on the ground and a couple beer cans in the fridge (laughs) And I'm currently living in San Diego, working with, um, like, the national development team down here. And I'm paddling every single day. And, like, just to give you an example, I paddled the past three days against or two days against a kid who's been the multiple-time national champion under 18. So just imagine the fittest cross-country runner under 18 but in a boat. And um, he's been putting a beat down on me. But I can, I'm close. Like I can, before when I started, they were like a mile away. Now I can, I can smell him.
2: He's probably playing you. He's like, yeah, yeah, here he comes. No, fuck it.
1: Yeah. Turn on the turbo jets as soon as you, you, uh, Nick the back of his boat,
0: you know, just as well as I do, you know, when like people are trying to really pretend like they're not running hard and you can like hear them trying to like hold their breath down. So you don't. They, like you try to like do all these tactics so you don't look like you're tired. I'm yeah. really good at picking up on it now. So there was definitely a couple intervals when I got near them and I was like, huh.
2: yeah, "Hey, is so- it like
1: uh, is it like NASCAR to where it's like rubbing is racing and so it's it's not technically illegal, but there there's a little bump in, bumper boats going on,
0: dude." If a, if a gnat hit me in my boat, I would tip over. There's, these things are so tippy. There's nothing you could do to keep us upright. So it's like, it, there's even rules about riding wakes and stuff. There's, there's a lot of stuff to it. So at the highest level. Um, but I'm not even close. I I, I can't even steer the boat straight enough. If I tried to hit his
2: boat. That matters.
0: Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but you know, rich, like we've had you on a couple of times. I think you're always just like a lot of fun to talk to. um, just to give people your background, let's just give me the elevator pitch. I'm a girl in the elevator with big boobs, and you want to convince me as a client to work with you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and look, here here's you realize that probably of all the people you're gonna call, I've been in this game of coaching and doing clinical diagnostics on athletes longer than anybody you're gonna talk to.
0: That's why we called you. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go ahead
2: and give you that right up front. Okay. <laughs> so here's what I've done. I've narrowed. I've narrowed things down to a very simple process, right? You've got to know who the enemy is, right? You're in that boat, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to make that boat go faster at less cost, right? So the enemy isn't the boat. The enemy isn't that kid in front of you. The enemy isn't the water. The enemy is fatigue. And every sport that we discuss, everything that you've gone through in the career that you've been in and the work you've done with me – the enemy has always been fatigue. And I've proved it on several different occasions where I got outside my space and, you know, I got out of my lane and I started doing some stuff with CrossFitters. Now I'm doing some stuff with Pyrox. Now I've done stuff with OCR. I've done, I've, I've done work with all kinds of different athletes. And it all comes down to the same thing. And in your case, right now, time and space, doing what you're doing now, it's coming down to technique, which is which is causing you to fatigue. Yeah. Right. So you need to be better at the boat, and then you need to work at a pace that is not going to cause you to go so, so acidic that it's going to start shunting your potential to prove. So um, I think that a couple things should happen. One, I think you should start paying attention to what your heart rate looks like when you're doing what you're doing.
0: I can't even get it up, dude. I can't even get it up. It's a different
2: different sport. and 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 Believe me, when you start noticing your heart rate going up higher, it's because you're putting more effort into the correct muscles. And then what you're going to start noticing right now, your heart's not being challenged because the muscles driving you are not doing their job. And so when you get better at it, it's going to be more expensive. You're going to start noticing that things are happening. But in the meantime, it wouldn't hurt to actually get a VO2 max test in that sport, in that particular, um, in the job. position. So, yeah. Well, I probably,
0: I probably have to get a Pinoy or whatever the fuck those things are called. No,
2: no, no, no. You could do, you could do it. Oh yeah. Well, you can go see me. So if you could, if you could get tested on a concept Two rower, there's actually, an, uh, there's actually an attachment for a paddle to go on the chain.
1: I've
2: yeah, tested people this way before.
0: I've seen that and I'm actually really interested in it. Um, what was I going to say? So, this would be an interesting question. I have all of these questions that I want to ask you, but first of all, like I want to really ask and understand the physiology of rowers because I think it's the closest thing to us, but I'm going to have you bring something up really quick. Ryan, would you mind typing in Sebastian Brendel? I'm going to show you what the, I'm going to show you the body types and show you the people that are the top of the food chain. And I want you to look at them and then I want you to look at me and then kind of give me some estimates here. Cause like, Back in the day, if we were going to look at the top OCR athletes, we were looking at Hobie Call, Cody Mote, um, and then like John Albin, Ryan Atkins, like those guys all look pretty similar. They were all within like 10 to 15 pounds of each other. They were all within like three to five inches of each other. And then I was a, you know, uh, you know a sore thumb sticking out of everybody. So Sebastian Brindle, type in real quick.
2: Well, the, the of the guys you mentioned, the commonality – is they're all running at about 145 pounds. Yeah. So I don't know. I not how tall this guy is. Let's let's just go with about six two, six three. Looks like he's pushing about uh, two, two hundred five, two hundred ten, maybe. Am I wrong? Six, six four. four. Well, oh. look. If look at the pictures, so I knew he was about six He's a little stout, so I figured uh, you know his girth makes him look a little shorter in an he, image. He looks but, pretty lean. Well, Mm -hmm. again, I'm just, you know, you're throwing these pictures at me real quick and I'm trying to make it. So, uh, six, four, I, I, if you, you know, if you wouldn't show me the picture and say, what do you predict he would look like? I would have figured him to be between six, four and six, six. Really? I would have figured him to be at about 200 pounds now. So the other consideration is the distance he's racing, right? So the bigger guys are going to do better in the shorter distances is what, what you've, you've put yourself into, um,
0: uh, he's, uh, he's a 500 and a thousand guy. I think he's better at the thousand and he just won the world title for the five K also, but that's not an Olympic distance. Now sure. here's a totally different body type. Check this guy out. Um, what do you want his names? His name's I S a Isaiah, I S a Q U I a S. And then type in uh, sprint canoeing. Just try that. Cause the rest of his name is like 50 feet long. All right, now go to images. That's him, but um, this guy. Now, this guy is only like 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, and 190. Just Very interesting. Out. He's a little bit thicker. He's a little bit more like a pit bull body type. Yeah. You got him. Look at that. That's some thick beef, boy. Yeah. It's, boy. Yeah. it's really interesting, though. Still. Yeah, he's from Brazil, and they're, they're just, like, down here in the rivers. Now, interestingly enough, the majority of the men um, are kind of taller and leaner, and the women are all shorter and, and more stout. They have, like, sprinter body types.
2: Well, I can see that. I can see that because, uh, at the end of the day, uh, women's upper body strength isn't what a man's would be, so they would need to be a little more, more stout in, in the upper torso. And that would generally cause them to be a little shorter. You
0: know? Now, I'm going go to go into my notes here. So the two distances are 500 meter and 1000 meter. And I believe the 500 meter is like 140, um, something, and the 1000 meter time is 348. So we're basically looking at like, you know, an 800 meter runner and a 1500 meter runner. And obviously, the stroke rate. Is is like so if we're thinking about running, we're talking thinking about you you love the cadence of 180 beats per minute, most efficient, so on and so forth. The cadence for paddling is around 40 to 50 strokes per minute.
2: Okay.
0: And you know, uh no, it's higher than that. It's like 50 to 60 strokes per minute. They're going really, really hard. So they're getting about a stroke every second or every second and a half. And these guys are basically just bearing down. So in like the longer race, you have about 240 strokes and the shorter race, you have about half that, you know, 120 strokes. So, you know, I don't, the, the main driver here is not your legs and legs tend to have a bigger stimulus as far as getting your VO2 max up. And it's not plyometric like running. So I don't know if you can get your heart rate up nearly as high. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: No, you're wrong. Uh, I am. You actually, your upper body will actually get your heart rate up faster. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But see the, pro- again, it comes down to, it comes down to, um, just technique, getting access to not just your arms, getting access to your lats, getting access to your core, your stabilizers, of your spine, your transverse abdominus, getting your glutes involved. I mean, there's a lot going on there and it's just a function of, of the uh, the marriage of all this musculature and technique coming together to allow you to really drive. And so I would argue by the way, when you talk about cadence in the boat, um, I think it comes down to um, individual technique. So let me give you an example. Uh, everybody was trying to do um, what uh, what's a stupid cyclist name um, uh, uh, Come on, I just had a mind card. Lance Armstrong Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong's cadence high was cadence. very unique uh, in that he had a very high cadence and guys that tried to mimic his cadence suffered. A lot of guys who were, you know, they're you know, be like Mike. They're just trying to do what he's doing because they figure if they do what he's doing, they win too. And that the cadence was killing them. Uh, and so it's very unique to him. And, and so I think that your strength plays a very big part in what you should be doing from a cadence perspective. How much travel you get relative to each stroke that you take and so you really need to play with it. I, I would suggest that you, you, you know, you you carve out if it's a 500 meter event. I would do 500 meters at a more aggressive cadence. I would do 500 meters at a lesser cadence. And I would just find your mark. Just find what works for you and gives you the most return for your investment, rather than just saying, "Oh, everybody does you know 120 or whatever it is." Um, and I say 120 because if you were doing it on both sides with both arms, <laughs> like running, right? All
0: yeah. one side. So it's yeah. half
2: that, right? So it's it's going to be half. It's yeah. like a runner. If you check one leg, it's 90, you know, with you would be uh, on, the, on the boat, it'd be like, you said 50, 55, whatever it is. But I, I, would, I would just not just go out there and, and trust that if I mimic what everybody else is doing, I should be like them.
0: Well, first of all, I have to learn the technique and then I'll find my own technique. Like I can already tell that the paddle that they gave me is not good enough because once I'm able to generate uh, like the, the power that I truly have in my body, I need to have more surface space to generate more speed. Now yeah, this paddle right you. here is, is like the average paddle, but I was like, I'm stronger than the average paddler. So if I can get in the water and displace, you know, 25 to 30% more water, every single paddle stroke, potentially 20 to 30%. Yeah, more I power. totally agree with
2: you.
1: Is is yeah. there a lot of flex in the, in the, uh, in the paddle? No, like I mean, these things, these things are just ass hard and,
0: ass carbon, hard huh. carbon. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's so, like right now I'm in what's called the Delta boat. Um, you know, they have the Y model, which is the racing model, which I have, which is so long and thin. And it's just basically like a toothpick that you basically are high kneeling in. And then there's the Delta, which is shaped like this. It bows out and then bows back in. It has this big amount of displacement in the middle. It used to be a measurement that they had. Um, like, you know, they were, you were forced to have some kind of width measurement as far as, and also length measurements. And that was a lot easier to stabilize because it displaces so much more water. Um, You know, basically when you tip to the side, it's creating surface space. Uh, And I'm in that right now. And in that boat, I'm a weapon. Like, I'm still not steering as well, but I can't even come close to paddling and control like like they do in racing in the Y model. Um, So, like, all of these factors are changing week after week as I start to get better – I can start to change boats as I start to get better. I can start to change paddles. Um, I think an interesting thing to ask you, though, Rich, is let's think about um, the amount of like volume. So, if we're looking at an 800 meter runner, like it's still it's still like a distance event. So, these people are basically putting in fairly high mileage, and even milers are getting up to 100 miles a week. Um, would you say that in this where it's so predominantly power based? Uh, even though it's like aerobic power, you still have to, you suggest a lot of mileage or are you the person who would say, I would focus on like as much intensity as possible and trying to extend that intensity over time? Or would you be the person who's like, I want you to get as much volume as possible and then pack it into intensity afterwards?
2: Well, um, it's a good question. And and first of all, I think that... uh, I'm
0: listening, but I'm just going to go get the light back on again.
2: I think that what you want to consider is the intensity of the event that you're training for? And if the intensity is high, if you're soliciting to your aerobic engine, you're probably wasting a lot of time. You need to try to stay at that higher intensity and do a better job at processing that lactate. And this is what you and I have discussed this a million times because if you look the at chicken your or the history, egg, If you look at your history, when you were doing a lot of aerobic conditioning and running up a mountain, it was all working out very well. When you got into more high-intensity type of efforts, you started to lose your VO2. You started to lose your threshold, but it was okay because your tolerance for the lactate production really improved. And, and remember, I told you once upon a time, I told you, I said, stop worrying about what, what's happening here because it's working. You're obviously doing a better job at moving that lactate. So I would guess in a 500-meter effort, there's very little aerobic activity going on in that boat. It's got to do with you just tolerating a lot of that anaerobic metabolism, which is fine. You know, I mean, if you if you were asked 500 meters deep to, to, to carry it out to 1500, you'd explode. But uh, if you put a 500 meter effort together, you know, the intensity is very high. So uh, having said that, I would recommend that you you in particular, not this. this I'm not giving you a global statement, but I would rely on just the fatigue index. How well are you faring relative to the work, the volume of work you're doing and the intensity of the work you're doing? And then start determining how much recovery you should get in between those spouts. Um, are
1: you going after the 500 meter, the thousand meter for your event?
0: I'm assuming I'll probably be better. Um, I'll probably be better at the thousand. Um, I don't know though. I just think that in the 500, it's just, it's less strokes. So it's less opportunity for me to take advantage. Or you could say on the same other side of the coin, it's less opportunities for me to screw up. Mm-hmm. But, for me like i i don't know like i like, like it
2: for 500
0: yeah i like I, it for 500 it's interesting like i've never been the strongest person but for some reason i can generate lots of power like whenever we get on these like watt testers or any of these things like that i'm always like top two or three people in the room when it comes to competing and i'm talking about like top level crossfitters olympians i've competed at and I, I know that I can generate power and i know, I've got like a good aerobic engine as well, like to extend that power out, but I don't know at this point, I've never really trained for anything extensively. So, so me,
2: can I just jump in here for something you just said that I want to help you correct? What? I don't think in terms of aerobic power. That's a, that's an oxymoron. Okay. There's anaerobic power and there's aerobic p- potential for more enduring events. So when we're talking aerobic, we're really talking about long duration, volume oriented stuff. Well, the thing that that I'm trying to talk about
0: is like, imagine like an FTP score. So I'm talking about like that. I can't remember the name of the test where you just go all out and you just go all out for 20 seconds on the cycle, the bike and get your. It's
2: called a Wingate test.
0: Yeah. So the Wingate test versus the FTP test. Like I have a great Wingate test and I also have a really good Wingate test, uh, FTP FTP test. So, like, that's so what I'm trying you to an say.
2: Do test at 500 meters.
0: Well, I, not on this. I mean, I could do it on a freaking bike or a rower easily. Well, you
2: do it on a rower. You got to get as close to the action as possible. So, what you I can I do, can
0: row a 118. That's my best ever. Is a 118. So and what like, I would
2: the look at is, is so there's a couple things you want to look at. You want to you want to compare the watts you produce relative to the cost, which is your heart rate. Yeah. So you want, to go, you want to go and achieve as much wattage as possible in 500 meters, sustainable, so you're looking at the average, and compare that average to your heart rate. And I would consider that to be a functional threshold power assessment. But yeah. the, the cool part, by the way, FTP, I've dealt with this a million times with cyclists because cyclists are all about FTP because they can measure power output more effectively than any other sport because the wheels don't leave the ground. Okay. It's really, really important that you understand that. Yep. So when you do something like on a rower, same thing applies, you can get a nice clean uh, report of the watts you're producing. And then if you're marrying it with heart rate, you could see a very clean um, co- cost. Oh, what, we, what it costs me to do what it is I'm trying to achieve. So think about, think about power output is the yield. This is what I'm getting paid and heart rate is the, ex, the expense. This is what I got to pay to get what I'm buying yep. and having both of those elements in your process does a ton of things for you because let's just say that you're, you're able to punch out just I'm just going to throw a number up. Let's say 500 Watts. Yep. Okay. And it costs you 160 beats per minute. And so you're stuck on that 500 Watts production but you're not paying attention to your heart rate. It may cost you more heart rate the next time you try to achieve the same end, which means you're stuck on working harder, which causes you to be more toxic relative to the yield. And then you're going to start to suffer. So having the, both of those values are really, really, by the way, this is what I'm doing with high rocks athletes. Now I'm putting them on a rower and I'm looking at their yield and expense compared to cost doing the same thing on the skier, doing the same thing. Well, I can't do it on the, on the run. Because you can't effectively measure power output on a run. I don't care what anybody says. Because there's th- there, it's like throwing shit in the air and hoping it all goes in the same direction. It doesn't work. Yeah. You know, that's seriously. That's so what power output. about.
0: Let's get into rowing. Now, rowing is one of these kind of things where it's interesting by my standard. Like it's kind of like running. Running to me is how light can you possibly be while still having a good set of lungs? And it's just like this X max marks the spot kind of thing like technically the lighter you get the more aerobic like capability you have but also with rowing like if you have a good engine and almost the taller you get the more likely that you're going to just be able to ram hard numbers down the throat of that watt machine so
2: well it's range you know what you do is you saying. your range relative so if you could pull consistently longer than a shorter guy you generate more power Exactly right.
0: So I either have to do more strokes than you, or I have to generate more power per stroke than you do. And the we'll likelihood that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I've always been like, right now I could probably row maybe a 615 on uh, a 2K. And I really do want to actually, we were having like our goals. Like I want to break six on the 2K this year, just because I think it's very translatable to the sport that I'm doing. I've never put time into it. Um, So for rowers, you know, I, I'm sure you, have you ever tested rowers before? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the one thing that you kind of notice about them in comparison to other endurance athletes? Is there any specific, anything specific? Well, you well,
2: so back in the day, there's a, in, uh, in Marina Del Rey, there's a couple of, uh, uh, canoe clubs yep. and I had gone down there and tested the entire group of, there's a, a, a club called Lanaquila, which is, it's all female. And I tested all the women in the Lanakila Canoe Club, and I think there was uh, 20 women. And what I found the commonality to be is their heart rates were really, really high. But what was interesting was their ability to go along was really pretty amazing. I had girls standing on a treadmill, and their heart rates were 120 beats per minute before we started doing anything. And they'd push up to 215, 220 beats per minute in a test. Dude,
0: the girls that I did fun. those boat they're races were, were were tanks. Like, their lats and shoulders and yeah. arms were as big as mine.
2: Yeah, I listen, I know. I've done – I went through a stint where I was doing a lot of canoeists um, because they were really curious to know what their average heart rate ought to look like when they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And I was really kind of taken back by the fact that their heart rates were running so high. Now, I didn't do a lot of the men. That was interesting because I just, just didn't do a lot of men. I, I, I did a few – And there was nothing remarkable about their abilities and uh, even even their thresholds. But, you know, as it gets down to it, I mean, this is a very deep technique oriented sport you're speaking of.
0: No, I I get it completely. Like, I'll give you an example. When I I did an outrigger race called Off the Couch and I was racing and outriggers a pretty fast, fast boat. It's like, you know, this very thin, lean boat with a little um, like stretch board across it with another balancing board in the water. That's probably a really bastardized version of describing their sport, but that's how I can describe it. I was hitting the water so hard every single paddle stroke that I, I I could have split the water in half. Like, And I've broken several paddles doing this thing because I'm just ripping as hard as I can. I've cracked the paddles at their, at their basically like the fulcrum spot. But uh, I was racing against a woman for the last three miles, and she was in a surf ski, and she had to have been like 50. And she's just going like this. She's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Still? And I'm just grunting. I'm grunting so hard, hitting the water, like ripped muscle, like pumping yeah. all over my yeah. body. And she be- I fell in the water right before the finish line, like 10 feet before, and she beat me. And I'm like, how the fuck is this woman beating me? And I was yeah. like going up against guys in their 70s and they're beating me. Yeah. And it's just because Seven. every single time I hit the water, I'm probably delivering 50% as much power through the paddle as they are.
2: In the wrong places. Oh yeah. So it, uh, the the analogy I would offer you is look at r- swimming. You know, I've been in the. Have you? I'm sure you have too. I've been in a pool with a coach swimming against people that were way better swimmers than me. Yeah. And you know when they're starting to pass you in the lane, and you you you're working your ass off to try to catch them, and they don't look like they're doing anything. They're just kind of sailing along and just leaving you behind and you're hammering the water you know, to try to catch them, it's fruitless. You just can't do it because they're, they're, the displacement of the water from their bodies is so much more efficient than yours is. And it's the same thing when you stick that paddle in the water. If you put that paddle, let's just let's relate it to cadence, like overstriding, that I you know, I get, I get bent with overstriding, right? Yeah. If you get the paddle just a little too short or a little too far into the water ahead of you, there's a potential that you're becoming inefficient. There needs to be a sweet spot for where you stick that paddle in the water and how much force you deliver to it and the angle that you approach it with in order to get the maximal benefit. I would have to believe, and I'm not an expert by any stretch on this type of work, but I'm just thinking in course of efficiency. So getting back to what I started telling you in the very beginning when you said, well, what's your deal? Fatigue, my friend, your enemy is fatigue and efficiency is what's going to help you with that battle. When you become yeah. much, much more efficient with the way you're moving, the cost of work is going to go down and your delivery is going to improve. So you're doing the right thing, getting out there, getting around people that really know the boat, really know how to teach you to to do the sport, and then let your body do the rest of it. You know,
0: I basically have a headhunter list right now, and I've been beaten by everybody. I've been been beaten by a girl on the Japanese team, the, the junior silver medalist, the Olympic gold medalist, the... Under-18 national champion.
2: Do you, like, cry on the way home? No, not at all.
0: I mean, I just accept it. It, it is – like, I hate the word humble. Like, I just – because people yeah. use it the wrong way. they always like, honey, you should be more humble. I'm like, well, I'll put a rock in your face. Um, but I, I truly, like, in this sense, I will use that word. I'm like, I'm humbled daily. Every single day, I am just rocked. And – I learn every single day. It's pretty incredible. Like it's one of those kind of things. Like it's like sink or swim. And like I'm when I first started, I remember the first interval workout we did. They were like, Hey guys, we're going to do four minutes on two minutes off the first interval. They were two minutes ahead of me. Distance wise. The second interval they are four to five minutes ahead of me. Distance wise. I was like, okay, I'm done. And I just turned back in and just went up and down in front of the camp in front of the club. This time I'm like, with them two weeks later, and I'm like they're they're still like ahead of me by forty forty to sixty seconds, but I'm like I can see them, like I can actually see their paddles going to the water and everything. They're not little ants yeah, so in the you distance. You can make them out. Close yeah. You know,
2: you know, it's not a dolphin anymore. It's for yeah, know, like, the canoe guy.
0: Yeah, so it, it it's it's great, and like my hands are like bleeding and covered in scabs and stuff. But I I said to myself. I'm going to stay here until April 15th. I'm going to go all in until April 15th. And like, I'm going to sit here and work with a coach. And like, if he says at the end of this thing, like he's like Hunter, he already said, he's like, you have a future in this thing if you want it. But at the end of this, like he may just be being nice to me at the end of this, I'm going to say like, listen, I showed up and I did all this work. Do you think? So I'll pose this question to you. you
2: Let me tell you how to handle that. Okay. Yeah. So you realize that I was raised South of Detroit. And I've run into some very angry people in my life. Yeah. And so when, when, when you ask that question to the coach, I want you to preface the, co- the the question by saying this. Listen, coach, I've learned that a pat on the back is 14 inches away from a kick in the ass. Tell yeah. me the truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? No, I, I, don't, I don't want any bullshit. <laughs> you know, I've already. Well, I, know do doing, I, mean,
2: I, I hate when paddle. people patronize you. You know, it's like if you don't have an answer, don't say anything at all. Right.
0: I agree. Yeah, so I mean I'm I'm all in dude. Like I'm living on like a little like you know like a little like little tiny little mattress in a room with a box fan. And that's about all the luxury that I have in my life right now. Um if you had to guess, so like this is like I'm going to ask yeah, everybody uh if you had to guess uh what are my chances?
2: Well, Honestly, uh, not looking at the competition, but just bearing on what you're telling me, and I trust what you're telling me, uh, and knowing you and your physicality. I, I honestly believe, and in, in, uh, you know me, I don't blow smoke up anybody's skirt, right?
0: Yeah.
2: I, I honestly believe that to try to count you out is just a bad idea. You know. Here we go. Like, from a standpoint of you getting in there and applying yourself the way you're saying you're going to apply yourself almost to any given sport, um, assuming that it's within your physicality, meaning that, you know, we're not trying to get you to do something that a skinny guy has got to do or a little guy has got to do. But, you know, th- this is your sport that from a standpoint. And I know that's why you picked it. It, yep. it lays very nicely into your physicality. So uh, I think you've got a shot. I think, I think you've got a shot. I think you're going to surprise some of these guys. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of these guys have been doing this their entire life. You know, they grew up doing this kind of thing. And that's the edge they have, and you. And I'm sure you've done this with cyclists. You get out there on a the road with some cyclists, and these guys just seem to just be churning along and eating your lunch, and, and you're working hard to try to keep up. And it's it's time and tenure. They're just they're just very very technically savvy in the sport, and so you've got some catching up to do, no question about it. But if it comes down to your ability uh, to produce work, uh, and Technique aside, I think you've got a you've got a you got a fighting chance. Yeah. Um, so for whatever it's worth, yeah, I'm, I'm voting for you. Well, you dude, I, I'll, uh, the triathlon thing, I'll, you know, Ryan, you're sitting here. You were here last time we had this conversation. Yes, sir. Who won that argument?
1: Well, there's some debate because I know there's some
2: debate. That's why I'm yeah, asking. Finish. You. Ryan, he, your he, job's on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I. I <laughs> He finished under the time that he said he wanted, but I still don't think it was as fast as what you said you were you were betting him on. So I like told
2: him I told him eleven hours, ball, but yeah, he is. Is. You know, I told Definitely. him eleven hours. He said ten. Mm-hmm. He finished at ten fifty six. Yep,
0: ten fifty six. We should go back and review the video because I am not the kind of person that likes to steal a cheap bet.
2: No, well, I'm just saying. That if you looked at it and you you know you say well which way do we need to go with this?
0: No 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 no. My
2: proof my proof was of course he certainly didn't break eleven, but he was really I was a hell of a lot closer. I mean, if it would have been a game show, I think I would have got the refrigerator.
0: Yeah, but dude, you know what is that? Um, There's there's no such thing as like almost, except for in horseshoes. Horseshoes, yeah, yeah, like I hand grenades. I uh, horseshoes and hand grenades, like I. I beat your time that you thought I was going to do. That was my goal. I was out there literally saying, fuck you, Rich, the whole time. <laughs> I was like, you motherfucker. It was just like, was this, like Rocky montage. It was like, da, 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 da. and I'm moving Dude, at 11-minute miles. i
2: got four minutes, man. i got to get under four minutes.
0: Dude, it was so bad. It was quicksand. It was the bike that killed me. It wasn't Not like sure. the stamina. My legs weren't dead. It was the amount of trauma that I had like, gone through and being in this position. I like, still cannot go in that position to this day.
2: Do you remember me saying that the bike is what's going to take him out? He's going to come off that bike and he's going to run like a sh- like somebody shot him.
1: Yeah, dude. Yeah. So asked him because he was about to go take something on in Big Bear and do a bike ride. And you're like, well, maybe you should go run, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles. And Hunter goes, I'm going to run three. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No, he didn't take my advice, you know. I should have just told him, yeah, you're right. You should maybe – don't even run. I wouldn't even –
0: I'll, I'll admit, that. dude, like uh, after I broke my bike, it flew out of the back of my truck. I lost all wind in my sails to actually care about the training involved in this. I was like, this sucks. I just immediately lost like, you know, well over $1,000 in value. Yeah. This isn't even my sport. I should be focusing on paddling. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm, this is a sign from God. to shut the fuck up. And, and I just, saw
2: that bu- picture of that bike all busted up. I'm going, Yes!
0: Yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. I was livid. I was like, what are the chances? I've never had that happen in my entire life, and I think it's because of those deep dish wheels. They're just like sails.
2: Yeah, you got to be careful with, with the wind. Uh, if yeah. You, yeah, I know. Um, so I know we're going to wrap this up in a second, but I, I want a shameless plug. Let's hear Absolutely. it. Dude. Your new book, dude. Well, that too. Uh, but my new book is out, yeah, uh, Winning Treadmill Workouts. is Now, You got to know, I spent my life standing next to a treadmill, watching people run on it. And I don't know anybody that has a treadmill like mine. So I've done, and as a matter of fact, you know, you sent me Mike Eckert to do a VO two of him doing chin ups to set the world record on a chin up. And I I actually fashioned the the chin bar to my treadmill uh, on the, uh, on the top of my treadmill. And we did that VO two on the treadmill. Yeah. which, which invoked all kinds of other thoughts that I could do there. But anyway, the interesting thing about it is I wrote a lot of workouts over the years and tried a lot of different things because my, my treadmill allows me to do a lot of crazy stuff. Right. So that book actually is for people trying to lose body weight. There's for, pe- you know, body fat, whatever, right on up to high speed training, you know, and I've, I've put you in fear of death for your life on that treadmill at over 20 miles per hour before you remember that hurts a lot. Yeah. So the but the thing I wanted to really plug is the fact that we're doing a clinic uh, at Sam Tooley's place in Sam's Jersey, a great guy. Shout out to Sam, New Jersey, February twenty fourth to twenty sixth. We're doing VO two max testing. We're doing gait analysis, gait correction, resting metabolic assessments. It's a weekend worth of training. There's only fifty. Well, there's not. There's not. There's only like nine spots left, I think, and it's going to get sold out. But you know, since we're doing this, and, and I know a lot of the people that, that we share in common uh, might be interested in knowing that. So that's February 24, 26. They can get that registration off my website. Thank you for that.
0: Well, uh, I suggest anybody who's in the area or even not in the area, you guys take the chance to go work with Rich because I think he's top in business. But um, I would really just like to kind of read off some of these questions that we got, um, just some random BS from some people and we'll answer all these cause they always come in. You can give this abbreviated answer because it's probably too open-ended, but um, info on off season running like frequency and duration. Um, is there any good content you have on that that you'd suggest? Um, or is there a discussion you'd like to have just based on people, you know, working? Yeah, in the so that's an
2: inter- I'm actually running an off season program right now. It's almost done. We're, we're 11 week, 12 weeks, 11, 12 weeks into a 16 week program. So we started the program uh I think it was uh the beginning of November or end of October. Um, and so a lot of people go how hey, oh, so should I taper? I, I think a taper is something you have to earn. You know, if if you tell me or if I look at your analytics and you I find out that you're running 15-18 miles a week, you don't need recovery from that. You don't need to get off season for that.
0: You need to practice matter fact, the fudge up
2: yeah, what you need to do is you start to probably need to start ramping up and work on your skill set so you can actually improve the amount of volume you could do. Um, but if you're into it and you're really going hard, yeah, you need to you need to take a little respite in the off season and maybe look at some uh, ancillary product like a, maybe just get on the bike for a bit, maybe do some swimming. Uh, people, a lot of people are fearful they're going to lose their strength if they take too much time off. You've got to be about two three weeks out completely out of the work to really suffer the consequences of, of your strength. Um, but your aerobic conditioning, um, I, I'm not too terribly worried about that. So I don't, I'm not sure what the correct answer would be. Uh, I just say it just really depends on the individual and how much work they've been doing.
0: Yep. Um, from kid Koki, my friend, Kyle, that I sent yeah. to you, he wants to know, it
1: is it? I think so. That's what it said on house. Unless he just fudged his birthday when he created his account. It said cause birthday today.
0: Happy birthday. You got to call Kyle. He wants to know who has better calves. He or I,
2: uh, he does. Absolutely.
0: Fuck. God damn it, rich. (laughs) All right. Um,
1: tomorrow tomorrow's his birthday. Sorry.
0: I, uh, I have my own opinion of this, but how do you feel about working, um, aerobic intensity and anaerobic intensity in the same training blocks? Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. I, um, I'm i a big believer in that. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. I did this program last year where it was this inverse thing called the ultimate engine that I created where there was tons of intensity front loaded. You also told me about a situation like this where you do high mileage one week and then more intense mileage the second week and low mileage. Um, you did that with a couple athletes. I do really high intensity in the first week and low volume, mid intensity, mid-volume, and then super high-volume, very low-intensity the last week of a training block, and it worked very, very well for me.
2: So, incidentally, I did write a book about this, and I know you've never written it, or, or, or read it. Excuse me.
0: What's that, The Dark dark Side?
2: You're on the cover of the damn book, and you didn't even read it. Okay. <laughs> I've read
0: some of it, but I haven't read the whole thing. Jesus.
2: So, so here's the thing. Think of your energy system as this sphere. And on the bottom end of the energy system is where all the aerobic potential lies, low intensity. And on the top is the anaerobic end of things. And this is where all the high intensity resides. Okay, so if you dispatch this and focus on this, this is where your fitness lives. This is where your tolerance to lactate lives. And so you're going to get really good at aerobic conditioning and aerobic functionality, but you're going to give this up. And the same thing be true. If you spend all your time up here, you're sacrificing your your potential for duration and longer events and things like this. So I believe to that in what I talk about in my book is flow training, where you may have a. By the way, if I showed you the splits, I think I did show you the splits of Blue Bennett doing my program. He did a 20 week program where I was doing this. Yep. At his 17th mile, his heart rate was 128 beats per minute at a 508 pace wow! at seven mile 17 and comparatively we looked at what he did prior to that training in uh at uh, boston where he was averaging 160 beats per minute to pull like a 545 pace so we totally enhanced his his myocardium his heart rate strength was really huge but we still maintained that aerobic bottom and it's just like flowing in and out of the energy system and do it perceptively. So, like you're running, let's say you go out and run and you start out, and you're running aerobically, feeling pretty good about yourself. And you think, you know what? I'm going to drop the hammer. You pop it out, really pop it out, and then say, okay, that's enough. And then you back off and you let yourself recover. And then you revisit and you just kind of flow in and out of the intensity. So, every workout you do, you could do this and be far more effective because. At the end of the week, you don't know whether you left something off the table or you needed more of this versus that. You're just guessing. You hope it works. But also in racing, when you're racing a guy, and you've done this a million times, I know. Matter of fact, you and I had this discussion once upon a time where I think it was Palmerton. And you called me and you said, look, you know, Ryan Atkins and the boys are all there. And he said, so you said, so what should I do? I said, I want you to go out as hard as you can in the beginning and let these guys make mistakes trying to catch you. And when they start making mistakes, you can back off because you're going to have that that levity. And you said to me, so what you're telling me is I'm either going to come in first or 20th place. You remember that conversation?
0: Yeah, I took third. It, no, you won, dude. Uh, I mean, well, that was the fir- that was a one a long, long time ago then. Yeah, well, I'm no.
2: talking about a long time ago. Okay, okay, but, okay. But the point of the matter is, is that You took people into deep water early and you were able to do it where if some people that are spending a lot of time aerobically and a guy charges out of the gate like that, you got no answer for it because you get toxic really quick and you need five minutes to get your shit together. So I like I like being in and out of it. I want to be able to answer questions or demands as they come at me. And that's what that does. Come on, you know Rich likes to travel between trainings.
0: So. I don't know who the heck that exactly. guy is. But listen, pleasure. I think, guys, anybody who's listening to this, um, the reason why we brought Rich on is because he's incredibly dense, deep, and in- fun understanding of how your engine works. And, like, that's really why we're here, because I want to know if my engine can translate into being an Olympian in a totally new sport. So if you guys are looking to get your season in the right direction, uh I would reach out to rich. I always say like he's my number one resource as far as building an engine. And I think he really just, I think if you go to him, you'll get the science that you need to really have the foundation to have success. I'm not the kind of person that can give those answers. House training is all about getting you in great shape, as strong as you possibly can fit as you possibly can be. But the science is truly the thing that supports it all. So, you know, you guys really want to get plugged into that. Um, (laughs) Check out all of his training programs if you guys are doing High Rocks, reach out to Rich. He's an incredible opportunity. If you guys are looking to work with our company as well, Hunter's Academy of Strength, housetraining.com is a great option. If you guys are trying to stay hydrated, motivated, and dominating, check out Builder Sports. That is our hydration drink. We've worked really hard on that. We have our second product coming out first quarter, and I've got a lot of work to do on that today, so I can- I'm no still waiting on the ideas. first product. Well, t- talk to Ryan. Ryan is Who always the person. Talk to next? Ryan, I, it's always talk Ryan. Me.
1: I'll, I'll you, you give me your address offline, and, and uh, I'll, I'll send you one. I'll send you a couple.
2: Well, can I tell you something? He promised me that a year ago. It's probably but Ryan's fault. It's I, probably I was Ryan's not fault.
1: here. I was not here a year ago talking with you, Rich. Yeah,
2: the dude is just like dropping the ball with me left and right. I, I'm I mean, all over I, the place, man. You got to catch me. Like a you got to catch me if you want some, dude. On me. Everybody, Chris, knows you
1: train all your clients out of your house in the garage?
2: No, I, no. Um, most of my clients are virtual, but no. I have people come to see me and we establish parameters and then they go home and then I can do all this virtually. So like, like the guys, the guys I'm working with up in, uh, in Jersey right now, good athletes, hard workers, we, we dialed in the details and now they know what I want from them and I know what they're capable of. And so when I see the data being unfolded in, in the training uh, every week, I I can see that they're either on point or what we need to adjust because I physically know who they are. I I clinically know who they are. That's, that's the big edge with me. So I have people come see me, get the assessments, go home, do their work. Maybe they they do it on their own. Maybe they come back to me for more help. I don't know, but um, no, I guess the answer is no. I mean, I could, but it's, it's an expensive proposition. Well, I figure I, I was just going off
1: the the videos that uh, you have Hunter at the house, and the thing that I was most interested in is your treadmill goes reverse, so he was running reverse yeah. to where you would step on, and then he had like a uh, like a super banner or resistance band, yeah. I guess yeah. Like, to keep.
2: Well, so the my treadmill goes twenty eight miles per hour in both directions. Wow, with a twenty eight percent elevation. Hmm. Okay, so the the band you saw on him was uh, for kinesthetic awareness. It helps. To get yourself, in. it's really hard to get in a nice running posture on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. But uh, the band helps to hold you in that position, which in turn helps you to get your ground contact more correct. And so I use it as a training, like training wheels. We get training wheels on people, dial them in, pull the training wheels off, and then we start putting it to work. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's a champion at that. He's done it a million times with me, so he knows. Yeah.
0: Just yeah. one last question. Dylan Doran wants to know, what's an elite level VO2
2: max? Depends on the sport. Um, I mean, uh, I start to pay attention to somebody when they get way up over 60. Um, and I, you know, I start to re- well, it really depends. I mean, Blue Benidorm blew an 85, that's the highest VO2 score I've ever seen. And I mean, Lance Armstrong was an 82. And, and I know this because my ex partner used to do all the testing for Lance Armstrong and the U.S. postal team when that was a thing. Uh, so. I, I've never seen it, especially a run. Runners typically do not go over, you know, they don't get into the 80s. That's something you might find in a cross-country skier, um, possibly a cyclist, uh, but commonly you don't see that in a runner. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you could be an amazing, you could be an amazing athlete in the 60s. You start getting over 70, it starts to get really entertaining.
1: Rich, is the is the Garmin pretty accurate when if you do one of the the uh vo2 max tests for like calculating but then after all your races and everything like my vo2 max is right now i'm at a 49 and it's increasing my load is 284 i don't quite know what that means but is a vo2 max via the garmin tracker like wearing a heart rate strap is that yeah,
2: you know uh, so let's let's define vo2 max vo2 max is the volume of oxygen relative to your uh, your mass in kilos of body weight per minute So how much oxygen your body's processing every minute, okay? And so the way I find that out is through ventilatory consequence. I'm measuring, I'm actually measuring oxygen uh, intake relative to carbon dioxide production. So it's a gas analysis. Your watch can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it's a predictive measure that they're using. And I've seen 100 guys, if not not more, when they get on my treadmill, they set their watch (coughs) because they want to compare it. Yeah. And sometimes it gets close and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I I just, uh, I mean, and quite honestly, I don't care because the VO2 max to me is, it's a vanity. I mean, it's either you're fit enough to do the work or you're not. Yeah. But what happens with your threshold is all important. How much work you can do before you fatigue uh, is all about how tolerant you are to lactate production and how aerobic your body is. And it just, that which way to go is dependent on the sport you're involved in. Which, by the way, is where I think a lot of guys miss the boat. They always—I'm so tired hearing people talk to me about zone two. Zone two is—is—I is, mean, if, if you want to walk across the Sahara Desert, zone two is important. <laughs> if you want to—if you want to win a ten k, mm-hmm. you want to go hard for a five k. You want to go a thousand meters in a high rocks event. I could yeah. care less how. I mean, I don't have anybody I work with do a zone two unless they broke their leg. Right, Mm -hmm. because most of the guys these days I'm working with are they're they're functional. That uh,
1: that would be the uh, green and blue, correct? I don't
0: know. I don't even know if he knows what that means. It's just like it's Uh, it's it's a measurement on the garment. Yeah. Well, Rich, we will um we'll put a bunch of notes in here to make sure that people can find you, and we'll also put the notes in there about your event coming up uh, up in New Jersey. Uh, Other than that, you owe me a bottle scotch.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I know I do. I know. I, I, I freaking hate it, but I, I do. I do. I owe you one. But so, you know what I need you to do is you need to come here and I, we'll go to the store and I'll pick it up and hand it to you.
0: Uh, well, as long as, as soon as I get a break, I have to ask this coach and ask him when I get a yeah, break. You're due.
2: You're due. We, we should, we should find out what you, matter of fact, if I can get you on my rower yeah, and we could, you know, you get the paddle attachment, we'll bring it over here. We'll get you on the rower and we'll figure it out.
0: I got to break. I'm breaking 2K on just the traditional uh, – six minutes on the traditional rower. I'm going to pull the fuck out of that thing. Yesterday I was hitting in the middle of a workout holding 137s and 136s. I was like, I'm getting close. Wow.
2: Well, I just think that paddle attachment would be a really nice add to that rower. For sure, for sure.
0: I just have to figure out how to set it up. I've actually watched videos of it. It's like here, and then like a second cylinder over here. Like moves the chain around the yeah, cylinder. You know, I, did it it.
2: It I did it. I did it years ago. I did. I did that. Uh, somebody brought the attachment to me in the rower and did V O two on them. Uh, it's been years and years and you know I've been doing this forever. So this is probably that's probably like eighteen. Well, actually, more than that. Twenty over twenty years ago. So I don't remember. Anyway, guys, awesome. Thank you. Olympics Thanks. row. What is paddle? Oh, yeah, right. Paddle.
0: Paddle <laughs> canoe. Yeah. I'll see you there, dude. You got to buy your tickets. If I get there, I expect to see you in Paris.
2: You know what? If you get to the Olympics, I'm going to be standing right next to you.
0: Fuck. Yeah. I'm going to have half of America there. All right, guys, I'm out. All right. Yeah.
2: You shut it down.